Hi, my name is Dan Ariely, and welcome to Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast about science. Every week, I will talk to one researcher about one project who will have a chat about what they found and what it means for our lives. Dan's guest this week is Dilip Soman, professor of marketing at the Rotman School at the University of Toronto. Okay, so we're standing here. We're in Canada, right, Dilip? Uh, it's called Canada, yes. It's called Canada, okay. And uh, Dilip Soman, and I wanted to talk to you about your research on envelopes. All right. So how does a professor get to do research on envelopes? Isn't this like a postal service kind of issue? It is uh, something like a postal service issue. It actually started off not with envelopes, but with popcorn. Uh, so should I tell you the popcorn story? Do you want to hear the popcorn story? Popcorn story, story of course, yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> there's this thing called popcorn which you get uh, at the movies when you go um, and it, it comes in buckets. And these are large buckets. Uh, the, the average large bucket of popcorn has, what, six cups, I think, of uh, popcorn. That's, that's the, uh, the Canadian one. The, the American no, ones are bigger. Well, I think you're right. I think it's probably got like eight or nine, uh, eight or nine uh, cups of popcorn. And the idea is a lot of people not just buy this stuff, but they eat it and eat all of it, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's me with my family of three plus friends struggle to finish one bucket, but lots of people actually consume the whole damn thing. And, and that's because you're all uh, skinny Indian people, and not... And all skinny Canadian uh, Indian <laughs> people uh, north of the border here, uh, struggling through the cold. Uh, but the issue is, uh, why do people eat all of that stuff uh, when in fact they know that it's not good for them? Right? Well, it's available and they paid for it already, no? Well, it's that, plus the fact that, that there's absolutely nothing in the environment that questions... Um, why and when they should stop eating, right? So when you when you buy a bucket of popcorn, you make a meta decision to buy and to eat, and you start eating, and then you don't kind of stop at every 10 kernels and say, should I continue or not? You just go with the flow, right? And so we said, is there a way in which we could uh, intervene and create a flow or create a point at which people need to reevaluate that decision to continue eating popcorn? So what we did was we worked with a theater, uh, with a concession stand, um, and did the following simple experiment. People came and asked for a bucket of popcorn, and the agent told them, look, we don't have buckets, but I can give you the same popcorn in four bags. Right? Okay. And, uh, so this was hard to carry and, and manage. Well, it was not only was it hard to carry, but I think it did something more interesting, uh, which was that uh, we kept track of how much popcorn people ate, and we asked them why they ate, uh, whatever they ate. We, we obviously found they ate a lot less. And they did that because what would now happen is that uh, they would reach the end of a bag, and uh, they would now need to decide that they wanted to open the next bag. I see. So there was a kind of a natural breaking point in the middle that had yeah, some decision involved. Do Absolutely. you want to continue or not? Absolutely, right? So what we were trying to do is, is take something that's a habit uh, or take something in which people kind of go with the flow uh, and then insert what we call a decision point into that, right? So it, it worked amazingly well with popcorn. So, so it means that when they bought the popcorn, they wanted to eat the whole thing. They bought a, a lot of it, but yes. the, in, the, in the process itself, they basically stopped themselves. That's correct, right? And, and so we said, if that's what's going on, does it work with other kind of food? So we did the same thing with uh, cookies. Uh, we, we put partitions in uh, cookie boxes, and we found that that constrained people's consumption. We, we tried this with beverages. Okay, okay. so that's, that's clear. But wh yeah. where's the envelopes? Where's the envelopes? Uh, Amar Chima, who is a co-author of mine, uh, and I were talking about the, the popcorn work, and we said, well, you know, if it works for food, might it work for money? 
right? And the first thing we did was we said, well, let's try an experiment in the lab where we bring people in to gamble. Uh, we gave them gambling coupons. So these were cash coupons. Each coupon was worth uh, 50 cents. Uh, and they got 100 coupons, right? And what they could do is during the experiment at any point in time, they could uh, exchange the coupons for cash and, and walk away. Um, they played a gamble instead. And the rules of the gambling game were simple. Uh, they could gamble one coupon at a time. Uh, they could not gamble with the house money. So they could not gamble away their winnings. Uh, and they could stop whenever they wanted. So they had a hundred coupons. They could either cash them for cash, each of them, That's or right. they could gamble with them. Or they could gamble with them. Okay. Right? Uh, and the one manipulation we did was the envelope manipulation. Right? So what we did was we put all hundred coupons in one envelope, sealed it, and gave it to them for some of the participants. For other participants, we took the same hundred coupons, uh, divided them up into ten envelopes of ten coupons each, again sealed them. <coughs> and handed them out, right? Okay, and, and the same thing happened? Basically, when they got multiple envelopes, they stopped after... Well, that's exactly what happened, right? Okay. So we found, for example, that uh, people that had 100 coupons in one envelope tended to gamble about 56 of those away. Uh, the, I'd say there were about 20% of people that gambled the entire 100 uh, coupons away. Uh, but when they had the 10 envelopes of 10 each, it turns out most of them opened one, two, perhaps one brave soul opened three, uh, but then they exchanged the rest for cash and, and went home. Okay, so, so you have basically a solution for gambling. Basically get people's money and they partition it into small parts and make them to have an active decision when they break every part. For sure. What's important though to keep in mind in this research is that we're always looking at people that sort of know they want to constrain consumption but don't know how to do it. Okay, now you had a more interesting version of this in, in uh, with some migrant workers, right? For sure, right. So now what we did was we said it works with popcorn, it works with uh, coupons, let's try this with cash, right? So we went to India and in India we worked with construction laborers actually. So I'm actually heading off tomorrow to do a second wave of this experiment. Uh, worked with a not-for-profit agency that actually took their cash salary from the landlord and dispersed it to them again through envelopes. And we've, we tried different versions, so we either sort of took their, took their salary, broke it up into equal number of envelopes. We tried an earmarking manipulation, so we essentially said, you know, you, you, we think you should save 20% of your salary earmarked that into a separate envelope and gave that yeah. to them, right? Uh, and again, we found that uh, the moment you put stuff into envelopes, the money stays sticky, right? So, so basically what happened is instead of giving them one big envelope, you give them multiple envelopes with correct. less money. That's correct. And once they start breaking an envelope, they spend the whole thing, That's but they have a kind of right. a barrier, a psychological barrier of opening a new envelope. Absolutely, right? And the question we then ask is, are there ways in which we could actually create uh, or strengthen that barrier, right? So in one of the studies that we just did is we, we sort of told them that we are earmarking this money towards your kids' future education expenses. Oh, that's cruel. Well, it's cruel, but we put pictures of the kids on the envelopes. <laughs> Even more cruel. <laughs> and the moment you did that, guess what? They did not open those envelopes. So, so in a sense, what you're doing is you're taking these envelopes and using them to help people partition their spending in some uh, arbitrary way, but it helps them restrict themselves from spending too much money. That's exactly right. <coughs> right? And so, so the goal here is, is to actually create these different budgets or different categories, uh, label them, and uh, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, the simple point we're making is that once you label money with its use, it becomes more sticky to that particular use. Um, that's great. Now, have you done anything in your personal life after uh, all these results? I've bought lots of envelopes. That's one thing I've done. <laughs> uh, but no, I, you know, at home, uh, one of the things I do is also work with school kids uh, to help them. Uh, I, you know, I, I do a program on financial literacy for school children. And again, we use the envelopes as a handy way of, uh, of, of teaching kids how to budget. What about you? Are you getting any better in budgeting your own money? Uh, you know what? I've actually cut up a couple of my credit cards, believe it or not. Uh, and with all the envelopes I have, I'm not doing too badly, I think. 
Very good. Dilip, thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. This has been Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast with Dan Ariely, Professor of Behavioral Economics at Duke University. Learn more at predictablyirrational.com. 